This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As we open this week, things are moving and shaking. The Dominion case against the lying liars at Fox News is back in court this week with some new bombshell evidence, and here's just a preview. Before one interview with Trump lawyer Sidney Powell, in advance she told Fox that her single source for these election claims was a person who does, quote, time travel in a semi-conscious state. Let me repeat that. Their source, now at the heart of this defamation claim, at a time when the lies led to violence, was someone who said they knew what they knew because they got it by experiencing time travel in a semi-conscious state. On top of last week's revelation that Ivanka and Jared, aka Javanka, have been subpoenaed in the January 6th investigation, Now, in a sealed motion, special counsel Jack Smith has asked a federal judge to force Mike Pence to fully comply with the subpoena that he's been trying to fight off. It means that finally, Pence will have to testify in front of a grand jury. It's about fucking time that someone called Pius Pence's bluff. And Trump's too, for that matter. Because if the judge grants Smith's motion, Donald J. Trump will not be able to use executive privilege as a way to keep his former vice president from talking. The idea of, uh, of subpoenaing a former vice president to testify in court against the president with whom they served, I believe is unprecedented in American history. But as I said last week, I believe it's also unconstitutional. Now, Pence has been trying to slime his way around the subpoena by saying it's, quote, unconstitutional. But talk about unconstitutional, Mike Pence is a fucking key witness and a pivotal figure in an attempted coup against the United States government. So the real question is there, Mike, why wouldn't you talk? Now, he keeps citing the speech and debate clause as a way around testifying, but even his buddy, the uber-conservative Judge Lodig, said in an op-ed in the New York Times on Friday that Mike better talk because his vow to resist the subpoena is a, quote, dangerous gambit and one that will invite an embarrassing spectacle. No prosecutor, least of all Mr. Smith, will abide by this political gambit for long. Now, pointing to Pence's promise to take the subpoena battle all the way to the Supreme Court, Ludig wrote, a politician should be careful what he wishes for. Ludig argues today in the New York Times that not only is Pence's position just flat out wrong, but that Pence's criticism of the subpoena as a political maneuver could not be further from the truth. Ludig writes, quote, the only question now is not whether Pence will have to testify before the grand jury, but how soon. Jack Smith's subpoena was neither politically motivated nor designed to strengthen President Biden's political hand in 2024. Thus, the jarring dissonance between the subpoena and Mr. Pence's characterization of it. It is Mr. Pence who has chosen to politicize the subpoena and not the DOJ. And speaking of Jack Smith, he isn't just in charge of the January 6th case. He's also investigating Mar-a-Lardo, where it's just been reported that another box of stolen classified documents turned up in December. Weeks after a thorough search found nothing, this box just fucking magically materialized in the bridal suite that Trump now calls his office. It appears that the contents were moved, emailed, and even uploaded to the cloud. Plus, as I keep saying, Trump would happily share state secrets if there was something in it for him. 
As we enter year two of Putin's war on Ukraine, there's been several interesting developments. A, a lot has happened in the last year, but a lot of that has not been good for Vladimir Putin. And we expected this week to be a big week for him because there are land gains that haven't been made since October that we were thinking they might make a push for. There's the towns around Bakhmut that have not been taken by the Russians, uh, which is a, a curious matter given the amount of uh, resources and, and soldiers that they're throwing at this whole thing. But what ended up happening was this week was about Joe Biden and NATO and Vladimir Zelensky. So it was a very unusual development this week in that uh, it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. Last week, we reported on China's visit to Moscow. Now, at the time, I was skeptical about their claim that they were going to promote world peace, but it looks like they were serious. Friday, Beijing released its 12-point position paper, calling for a ceasefire between Kiev and Moscow. And surprisingly enough, Putin didn't shove them out the window. But here's the rub, folks. The plan urges an end to Western sanctions against Russia. And the timing is really strange, since on the same day, the United States Treasury Department slapped new sanctions on Russian banks and targeted its mining and metals sector, while going after over 30 people and companies from Switzerland, from Germany, and the Middle East. Why? For helping Moscow evade earlier sanctions and keep funding its war against Ukraine. So tell us about these new sanctions announced today, and will they really, what kind of an impact do you expect that they will have? Well, I think they're going to continue to have a very dire effect on the Russian economy. Uh, over the course of this entire conflict, you have seen uh, the U.S. sanctions and our export controls uh, have a concrete impact. We're seeing multinational corporations choose to leave doing business in Russia. Uh, you're seeing Russian GDP shrink. Uh, and this is, uh, you have to remember, uh, combined and part of our overall assistance, which you saw President Biden announce a major security package uh, early this week, standing next to President Zelensky. Uh, and so one year later, our commitment to our Ukrainian partners endures. Other parts of the Chinese peace plan include the establishment of humanitarian corridors for the evacuation of civilians and steps to ensure the export of grain after disruptions caused global food prices to spike last year. And that nuclear power plants must be kept safe and the threat or use of nuclear weapons should be opposed. Also, they want the independence and territorial integrity of both countries to be effectively guaranteed. Zelensky has said he's interested in meeting with Chinese officials, so perhaps something will come of the plan. In the meantime... Now to that new report, which has uncovered the extent to which Moscow is conducting an extensive campaign to take Ukrainian children to Russia and sometimes even give them military training or forcibly adopt them actions, according to the report's authors, that constitute war crimes under international law, possibly even evidence of genocide. The report was produced by the Yale Humanitarian Research Lab as part of a State Department-supported program for gathering evidence of Russian war crimes. It identifies 43 facilities that are a part of a network stretching from the Black Sea to Siberia. Their primary purpose appears to be political re-education. Reuters reports that 71,000 alleged war crimes have been reported in Ukraine since the Russian invasion. War crimes ranging from the shelling of civilian infrastructure to child abduction, rape, torture, and even murder, all atrocities covered under the Geneva Convention and considered crimes against humanity that must be accounted for and punished before this thing is really over. 
The difference between this war and so many in the past is irrefutable evidence gathered on cell phones and surveillance cameras that will make prosecuting these war crimes and these war criminals that much easier. And from what I hear, prosecutions of war criminals has already begun in Kiev. You can anticipate that if he signs a losing peace or a war, uh, 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 an agreement that is not worth the cost that the, that the Russians uh, have suffered, that he will be removed from office and subsequently killed. So he's not going to sign any agreement like that. He's going to fight in what we call a gamble for resurrection. He has nothing to lose. You know, he cannot die more than once. So file this under wake-up call. The police and the press in cities around the country sent out a frantic warning to Jewish communities, asking them to be extra vigilant over the past weekend. Why? Because neo-Nazi deemed Saturday a national day of hate. I mean, can you believe this shit? Now we have holidays, a national day of hate? Apparently, last month, a small anti-Semitic group based in eastern Iowa designated February 25th as a day of hate, and other white supremacist or hate groups decided to get in on the action, taking the day of hate from a local to a national event. Now, white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups are planning on holding rallies and distributing anti-Semitic messages tomorrow. This is when the Jewish community traditionally observes the Sabbath. Police in our area will be increasing up security. The NYPD says that they have not identified any major threats, but urge New Yorkers to remain vigilant and also to report any suspicious activity. According to David Goldenberg, the Midwest Region Director for the Anti-Defamation League, all that law enforcement can do is monitor the situation and hope for the best. Also, a network of analysts from the ADL Center on Extremism watch online platforms and chat rooms for suspicious activity. And what will they do? They will alert proper authorities in the event that something pops up. But really, what the hell is going on in this country? So I'm calling on a weekend of Jewish pride. This weekend, I'm asking Jewish men to put on their kippahs. Women and everyone else, put on a Star of David. It's a weekend to be visibly Jewish. Let them see that not only we're not afraid of them, but we're proud of who we are. There's only one way to respond to this kind of hate, and it's through strength and unity. Eastern Iowa, where the day of hate originated, is in between two major cities, Des Moines and Chicago, so it's hardly the boondocks. The deadly Unite the Right rally happened in Charlottesville, and Charlottesville also is no small town. And now in Orlando, Florida, I mean the heart of DeSantis country, a fucking vile pack of anti-Semitic scumbags are standing on street corners, menacing traffic, and using bullhorns to verbally assault Jewish citizens. Oh my God. Leave our country, go back to Israel. You know where you bomb Palestinian kids? Where we fund you stupid fucking Jews? Eight billion dollars a year? You look like a horse. You look like a Jewish horse. Look at the horse face on this Jew. <laughs> These assholes call themselves the Goyim Defense League, or the GDL. And in videos posted on Twitter, we see this bunch of hoodlums in Hawaiian shirts. I mean, what the fuck's with the neo-Nazis and Hawaiian shirts? Anyway, in the videos, these fucking assholes are proudly scaring the shit out of Jews just driving by. In one case, they get in the face of an Orthodox man leaving temple. And then they go ahead and they say shit like, Sir, do you think you should be put in an oven? If you're going to allow somebody to be free to advocate genocide, 
if you're going to allow somebody to be free to organize genocide, to organize murder and racism, then that doesn't make any sense at all. I think it's very clear. They use the First Amendment and the right to peacefully protest as legal cover for their bigotry. But the truth is there's no excuse. I have lots of issues with Trumpism and the maggots that it spawned, but the hate and the division that they preach, it isn't just gross and disgusting, it's fucking anti-American. Now Marjorie Taylor Greene and her call for the national divorce is also anti-American. All the Republican senators who knew Joe Biden had won the 2020 election, but then went along with the big lie anyway, they too are all anti-American. And Christian nationalists who fucking whine and complain about religious freedom while defaming every other religion, they too are also anti-American. So, while Ron DeSantis tries to erase the history of cultures that have suffered at the hands of their fellow Americans, he can now go ahead and add the Jews in his very own state to that list. Ask yourself, could there be any bigger contrast between America first and America last? Donald Trump went to Ohio. Joe Biden went to Ukraine. Lastly, a follow-up to a story that we've reported on several times, the Ohio toxic train debacle. Trump, as you know, went to East Palestine with bottled water, and then he tried to make a big stink out of the fact that the president and Mayor Pete hadn't been there yet. Yeah, well, as my co-host on Political Beatdown pointed out, Biden called immediately after the accident and he offered aid. But Ohio Governor Mike DeWine just didn't call him back. It is a perplexing and disastrous state of the state where you have a governor like DeWine, who is supposed to be the person with the boots on the ground, coordinating action by the federal government. But the federal government's response to disasters under our federalism system, given states' rights as well as the rights of the federal government, is such that if the state government says it's not an emergency, stay out, the federal government in a situation like that would generally not say, well, we are taking over your state. We know that Trump rolled back regulations that would have stopped the crash in East Palestine, but during the 5,000 plus train accidents that happened on Trump's watch, he and his Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chao, never once showed up to do anything, ever. So, as Ben Micellis says, it's time that the Biden administration start calling out the disinformation, misinformation, and propaganda and get ahead of the spin with the truth. And now for the main event. My guest today is my friend and fellow lawyer, Katie Fang. Fang became a legal analyst for NBC Universal in the year 2017 and is currently a political commentator, a podcaster, and a television host. So catch the excellent Katie Fang Show, which sheds light on the intersection of law, politics, and culture on both local and national levels. It airs weekends on MSNBC, and you might also find her filling in for Chris Hayes or Ari Melber on MSNBC. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Katie, 
When you see a story like the Fulton County Grand Jury Forewoman coming out and talking about the possibility of indictments, does it make you nervous at all? I mean, for example, if the media jumps the gun, could it compromise prosecutor Fannie Willis's case? So let's break that down a little bit, Michael. When I hear the prospect of indictments coming from the forewoman of that special grand jury in Fulton County, I admit it makes me a little bit excited. I think it's about time that we see a slew of indictments um, when the forewoman, and, and I think we need to have a separate conversation, Michael, about something I tweeted about last night, which is there's that old adage, that old saying, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Um, the way in which the four woman kind of presented herself on national media was concerning. Um, and it's really hard, Michael, to not sound like you're judging someone else. And yet I'd love to get your opinion too. She seemed immature to me. There seemed to be a lack of immaturity, um, emotional maturity, I guess, from the way that she was acting. It's a very solemn duty to serve, even on a special grand jury when you're not issuing indictments. It's still, it's still a solemn duty. And I don't, I had a concern when I watched her multiple appearances on national media yesterday that she may be perceived as not having taken her job seriously. Doesn't mean that when she was actually serving as a grand juror, she wasn't doing her job well and taking it seriously, but the presentation was lacking. That being said, she was given, like all the other jurors that served as a grand juror, specific directives. Quote, do not discuss publicly the deliberations. Do I think she flirted with flaunting and maybe breaking that rule? Yes. Do I think she actually broke the rule? No. But then ultimately, to your last point, does it create an aura of um, some type of bias? Yes. But do you and I both know that it doesn't make a difference? that you could do everything by the letter of the law and Trump and all of his sycophants are going to say that you were completely biased, that it was a witch hunt, that it was completely rigged from the beginning. And so at the end of the day, I think you have to keep your head down and I think you have to continue to do the, the job that you were supposed to do. But could she have waited, she being the foreign woman? I think she could have. I think she could have waited. And I think she could have spoken to the media after the indictments came out. Yeah, so... First of all, we call her by, well, you should call her by her first name. Uh, it's Emily, right? Her name is, I think, Emily Kors. Now, she's a 30-year-old woman. Um, she was chosen to be the leader of this 23-person special grand jury. And let's not forget that they've heard the testimony so far of 75 witnesses. Now, I agree with you. Could she have waited? Sure, she could have. Did she need to wait? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I even like this whole concept of this trans, you know, a lack of transparency. I do truly believe that right now as a country, we are, we're, we're so incensed with what you brought up. The fact that Trump and acolytes and these sycophants, they all seem to be getting away with it. And the media attention that comes onto you. Look, I just went for the 17th time, 17th time to the district attorney. They should give you a, a cot. 
They should give you a place to sleep, like a nice little pull-out futon. You know, uh, that give me a fucking stuff. cup of coffee. I mean, you know, you don't even get a cup of coffee. It costs me money to go there. And I have Lanny Davis who comes with me each and every time. He's coming in that morning on the Acela from D.C. I mean, every single time. And we're going back again next week. Right. It'll be 18th wow. time. Now, I do want to say, and I have said it before, um, using the metaphor of the airplane, and everybody seems to be using that, uh, the aircraft is already in the air. And it's now going to be turning to a trajectory whereby it's heading into the right direction. Something which I think Emily said something relatively similar when they asked her whether or not the special grand jury had suggested to D.A. Fonnie Willis that charges be brought against Trump. And her response was, you're not going to be shocked. All right. Um, now, I know that the D.A.s, they have their way of liking things. And my feeling is at this point in time, truthfully, tough shit. The American people want to know, is this fucknut going to get off? Or is he going to be held accountable? And this constant sort of drip, drip, drip of little bits, because this is the way that they have done it for the last 50, 100 years, whatever it is, that's good for them. She's the forewoman. I'm, I'm okay that she said the things that she did. I don't think she gave away any information. And then I'm going to parrot you for another split second, and I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly. Sure. No matter what, unless it's a full exoneration and then some, Trump is going to claim witch hunt. He's going to go ahead and claim that this whole thing is biased. It's simply because they don't want him running because he's the front runner, because he won the, the 2020 election. He's just going to continue. So while I agree that maybe she could have held out a little bit, I'm okay with it. I'm actually happy that she did. Every time I go to the DA, I speak to the press before I go in, and I talk to them on my way out. And if they don't like it, no problem. Don't use me. I'm okay with that. But, Michael, I would push back for a second and say this special grand jury made recommendations that do not have to be followed by Fonnie Willis and that do not have to be followed by a subsequently impaneled grand jury that does issue an indictment. Do I think that this your point about the fact that this woman was unanimously, Emily was unanimously elected to serve as the forewoman. And we also saw that there was a unanimous decision that was reached by the entire special grand jury. And this is the important point. There was zero evidence of election fraud, zero evidence of any type of feeling of an election that happened. That's the most important takeaway. Maybe not the way she presented herself. Maybe not the fact that maybe she spoke too quickly and people will disagree on that. The fact that the entire grand jury had recommendations for indictments, said that people were lying, and that there was zero evidence of election fraud. That's important because that's what Fonnie Willis needs, and that's what any subsequent grand jury needs if it's going to issue an indictment. If there's no stolen election and no evidence of fraud, then Donald Trump violated criminal statutes in the state of Georgia when he attempted to pressure Brad Raffensperger to, quote, find those votes and to basically overturn the lawful results of that 2020 election. And that's as a prosecutor, that's what you want. 
You need to know that. You need to know that a unbiased, completely Im- completely impartial jury made up of people that were pulled and called from the community said there was zero evidence of it. That's what gives you the juice and the gasoline in your car, maybe your rocket, maybe your plane, to take off and say, I'm going to do it. But this is a very big but, and you know this. You know this because you've been a lawyer. You know this because you've been through the system. Just because somebody has the evidence doesn't mean they necessarily bring the charges. Why? Because there's a concern about jury nullification and a jury not convicting a defendant. In the instance, though, of, of Donald Trump, I would state unequivocally, you have to bring the charges and you have to let the juries decide, period. If they don't want to convict him, that's on them and their Agreed. conscience. But at the end of the day, you have to bring the charges. Because if you don't, then you completely have fueled the fire for another insurrection, for another claim of election deniers, for another claim of a stolen election. If you don't prosecute him, then truly, I honestly think all hell breaks loose worse than what we've Agreed. Except I'm going to add one one pushback to that. It's already two years. It's two years and two months since that telephone call was made. Now, I know that it takes time, sometimes within which to bring a case, to get enough evidence, enough information. I don't know. My case was 48 hours. So I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking get it at all. From a Friday to a Monday... You either plead guilty. Okay, I understand. That was Michael Cohen. It's not the former president of the United States. My question is, 75 witnesses later, two years since that phone call, that, as Donald would say, that perfect phone call that we all know was imperfect, my question becomes, like this January 6th committee, how many more people do you need? How much more? And this goes to what you were saying. Prosecutors have to stop with this notion that the only time that you bring a case, and Mark Pomerantz, one of the reasons that he actually walked away and resigned was because this was not being followed. Your job is not to convict. And it's another thing that Judge Jed Rakoff wrote about in his book, Why the Innocent Plead uh, Guilty and the Guilty Go Free. Your job as a prosecutor is not to convict. Your job is to Make a determination whether or not there's enough information there within which to bring a charge pursuant to some criminal statute. That's the job of the prosecutor. Prosecutors have lost their way as well. It's all about to them their conviction rate. So that way they can go to the, the big, you know, white shoe firms and, you know, they can get the seven figure salaries. That's, that's what it's become. And that's why they did, like, for example, to me, what they did, where they started to threaten my wife if I didn't plead guilty. They needed that conviction, and they needed to be able to put that in their bio on the first, you know, in the first uh, paragraph of all of their bios, which they did. So, Michael, I'm going to push back to you now. Let me, let me ask you objectively. In some way, even though justice has been delayed and slow in this instance, don't you think the climate is now more readily, I don't know, maybe it's been marinating enough to the point where more of the truth has come out. We've seen more of the evidence from the 1-6 committee. We've seen more of the Mar-a-Lago stuff happening, which I know is unrelated and yet related because it speaks to Trump's character. Don't you think in some way the environment 
the consumption of information, the evidence that has been put out for public consumption. Don't you think it's maybe gotten to the point where, yes, people are exasperated and they're like, what the hell is taking so long? But don't you think it also maybe inures to the benefit of the prosecutors in this case or the federal government that they're going to bring a case and now everybody sees how corrupt he is, what a liar he is. All of us knew this for a long time. And yet in do some way, th- do you think that anybody, Katie, didn't know that Donald was a fucking liar? Thirty five, forty thousand lies he told to the American people from 2016 to 2020. In fact, with the drip, drip, drip of information, a lot of that information is not being put out there because prosecutors or people that have that information are desirous of that information coming out. It just happened to manifest itself and come out because of leaks. So, for example, take this moron Jeffrey Berman, the former head of the Southern District of New York. This fucking idiot, fucking idiot, goes ahead and writes a book whereby he states that he was being pressured by Maine Justice to involve himself, even though he had recused himself, in certain matters, including my case. That was not intentional. But yes, this drip, drip, drip certainly makes people angrier. But it's not supposed to be that way. There should be transparency to the American people. We should not have to fight with FOIA like I continue to fight every single day in order to get the documents, in order to prove that Bill Barr, Donald Trump, the Department of Justice, Jeffrey Berman, this guy, Nick um, Roos, Tom McKay, Andrea Griswold, all of these line prosecutors, Judge William H. Pauley III, they were all in on it. You know, it's not supposed to take 10 years, 20 years. This isn't the Kennedy assassination. That's the problem. We want to pretend that we're really a democracy, that we're a country of, you know, of laws and that there's justice. We are not. We might be a country of laws, but there is no justice in this country. And the fact that we are waiting two plus years before a single indictment comes out against someone who we know is as corrupt as corrupt can be. And that doesn't even that doesn't even start touching on like Jared and Ivanka or Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani or the rest of them. Right. It doesn't even start to touch on them. And this drip, drip, drip is driving people insane, which, of course, we termed going back two years when we started Maya Culpa. It's creating Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, but Michael, if we're going to go that far back, let's be brutally honest, too, and let's put blame and lay blame where it needs to be. Putting aside whether or not the judicial system has failed in whatever mission it's supposed to accomplish, there were ways by which Trump could have been neutered years ago. There was also political maneuvers that could have been done that failed miserably in terms of impeachment, et cetera, and those didn't fly either, right? So you have to lay blame at the feet of not only the corrupt, you know, what has George Conway called him now? Emperor Dorito or whatever the hell he's been calling him. You (laughs) You have to lay blame at the foot of Trump. You know this intimately well. We all know this. But you also have to make sure. And this is, I think, what frustrates me more than anything, especially when I see the stupidity that comes out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth, et cetera. Right. You have to ask yourself. Where did it all go so sideways that there was no accountability? Putting aside whether or not you lock them into prison and throw away the key. Accountability just doesn't come from a prosecutor's, you know, pen on an indictment. 
or a jury for person on a verdict form. Accountability also comes in different places. There has been no accountability for him. Maybe no, none, no, none. So we have to put blame none. where blame needs to be. And you look at what's happening and you look at the McCarthy's of the world and you look at the kowtowing that still happens. You look at the fact that people are still at polls saying that Donald Trump bests Ron DeSantis today in a poll for the GOP primary. And you have to scratch your head and ask, well, some of it's also Fox News's fault. We saw that through the Dominion stuff. And yet Tucker Carlson still takes the air at night and still says that there's a lie, that the big lie still exists. So where is that, you know? Right. And I agree with you. A lot of the blame really should lay at the foot of the partisanship and the divisiveness that's going on between the parties. So let's jump on and let's talk about, it. for example, take fucker Carlson. Right now, fucker is sitting there and pouring over what? 41,000 hours of tape from the insurrection given to him by who? By Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy, who just handed it over to me. And again, I'm so insulted by it. It reminds me of that guy, Jonathan Fry, the IRS agent out of San Francisco, who turned over my my information, oh. along with two other Michael Cohen's, yeah. to that Ronan S Farrow and to stuff. Avenatti. Yeah, the SAR That's stuff. right. Yeah. All right. Which, what, I mean, for what reason and what right did he have to do that? And by the way, he had limited to no accountability. So a couple of things here. Sure. Can other publications and news outlets also request the footage now? Right. And does Carlson have exclusive rights to that material? And if so, how is any of this even legal? Yeah. So I apologize that I don't have a direct answer for you. I can offer a little bit of clarity from what has been reported in the media. Tucker Carlson, I think it sounds like it's his show team has not actually been provided the footage. They've been provided. Uh, this is me like, you know, um, what is it quibbling over like kind of like words. They've been provided the access to the footage to review it in a secure facility, which in and of itself should make you wonder why anybody who's not having the security clearance should be looking at this in the first place. But they've been provided access to be able to go over the footage at the Capitol or somewhere in D.C. It's not like it was actually copied to like a thumb drive and they're like, here you go, Tucker Carlson, you can have it. But to your point. If there's going to be that type of transparency, it should be bipartisan transparency. We know that several Democratic congressmen and women have been asking for more information about this. The 1-6 committee had to be highly discerning about what it presented to the American public through a series of hours long public hearings because they were unable to be able to give all of the information for all of America to be able to see. So do I think if you're gonna create a precedent, Kevin McCarthy, do I think you should let everybody be able to see it? Absolutely. And expect litigation over it, Michael. Expect people from different type of media mm -hmm. outlets saying, where's my access? Why does Tucker Carlson get it? But the thing that troubles me the most is of all freaking people you're going to give it to, you're going to give it to Tucker Carlson, who admittedly said that Trump is a fraudster and that the big lie is a lie and that there was no election fraud. You're going to give him that access. You're going to give him that information. It, it's just what's he going to do with it? Like, what is he going to do other than yeah. what I've seen, which is, I think it was, I don't know who the hell that Lauren Boebert. I don't know. Somebody's like saying some crazy person, I think, was saying, oh, now we can show how it was actually the Democrats that created the insurrection and how Antifa was definitely the people that were there on one thing. Yeah. And 
I'm not sure where you get that information from that he has to go to the Capitol to review it. Yeah. You know, because, well, I, you know, I have obviously stories and news reporting from other news outlets, for example, like CNN Politics, mm-hmm. whereby they actually sent him the footage and maybe it is a way to access it. But I don't think that they have to go to the Capitol. They don't have to go to a secured location, a skiff in order to review it. And more importantly, he is legally permitted to relay information that he discerns reportable, that he himself, and you're right, what should make everybody very nervous is that Tucker Carlson, I'm going to quote this from the CNN story, has been one of the most prominent promoters of January 6th conspiracy theories. Most notably, he has devoted significant airtime to the false claim that liberal deep state partisans within the FBI orchestrated the insurrection as a way to undermine former President Donald Trump. And he has conducted sympathetic interviews with some of the rioters who were subsequently charged by the Justice Department. I mean, this to me is like, I mean, this is absurd. This is, this is telling a guy who has diabetes to go knock yourself out, go into Dylan's candy store and eat whatever you want. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, oxymoronic to say the least it's it's insane and then you have kevin mccarthy giving this to him because he was receiving pressure from a series of other gop lawmakers look that's the problem with mccarthy as well he is so fucked up any one gop member that sides against him could absolutely destroy the balance of power that he is now holding the gavel to. So he has to kowtow to everyone, and that includes giving 41,000 hours of footage to the most disingenuous scumbag that's out there promoting misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. And if we don't seriously, as a group, whether it's mea culpa, whether it's fans of Katie Fang or my new political beatdown, we call them, right, the brigade, because uh, we're the beatdown brigade. If we all don't, and the guys from Midas Touch and Midas Mighty, if we don't all get together and put a stop to this bullshit, you could only imagine where this is going to go. More partisanship, more lies, more misinformation, disinformation, malinformation more, is going to be running, running amok. More violence. Yeah, and more violence. That's the concern. And You know, Michael, whenever I took on a case as a lawyer, and especially when I would try a case and I thought about what the jurors wanted to hear, I also asked myself, why? Why did somebody do what they did? Why did somebody say what they said, et cetera? So the question we have to ask ourselves too, Michael, is why? Why is Kevin McCarthy doing this? Other than the very craven desire to be Speaker of the House and to maintain his power. Mm -hmm. If he had enough support, if he was actually not being... Um, so cowardly, if he had the courage to actually stand up, but to whom, right? Who is putting the political pressure on him? Who is hitting all the pressure points on him? What is his real Achilles heel? What is McCarthy's biggest thing? Is it because he's terrified that it takes one vote for a motion, you know, of no confidence and that's it? 
So he has to do everything that everybody wants him to do. It's stunning to me. And I mean, look, it, it ends up being almost an irrelevant part of the discussion, right, Michael, whether Tucker Carlson was given the footage directly or he has to go over and view it and his team has to view it over in D.C. somehow. At the end of the day, it's access. And it's the failure of transparency in an equal way is the problem. If you're going to do it for one, you better do it for all. And they're not doing that. Why? Because McCarthy does not care about what the Democrats want. They just want to be able to fuel the flames of trying to make it seem like this is one huge deep state conspiracy that continues to unfold. But that's not just Kevin McCarthy's fault. That's the fault on all the people that are giving him pressure to turn it yep. over to Tucker Carlson. And it's also the fault of all of the people that are either watching Fox News and blindly being led down the primrose path because they either are doing the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil monkey act of not listening, not hearing and not paying attention to the fact that all of these text messages came out showing that all of the people, including Tucker Carlson, knew it was a lie. All of it was a lie. January 6th was premised on the idea that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him. But if there was zero evidence and if they all knew it's a lie, why are they allowed to continue mm -hmm. to be on the air every night and do it? We are really careful about what we can and cannot put out for consumption, right? We have standards. We have legal. We have people that watch this like a hawk, Michael. And we're not allowed to put stuff out there that we know is knowingly false. So why do they continue yeah. to do that? Why? Because they can yep. and because it and most importantly, because it responds to a narrative that they're trying to prove, um, you know, Michael Fanone, the police officer, sure. yeah. you know, that big fan. Um, is, yeah, big fan of his. Yep. Me, me, me too. You know, he was talking about how putting out all of this tape now talks. It basically shows people whether or not cameras move, where they're positioned, where they show, how you may be able to sneak around without ever being filmed and so on. And in that same article, he says, and I'm going to quote, it guarantees that it will be selectively edited to fit an extreme MAGA narrative without care for the safety of Capitol Police, members of Congress and congressional staff, right? Airing footage of restricted areas for the Capitol and sensitive evacuation protocols, all while spreading misinformation about the nature of the attack on the Capitol, endangers everyone working in the building. And he's 100% correct about that. Well, look, I would also turn around and say, if in fact that there are cameras that don't move and tilt, maybe it's time to upgrade the camera system that's over there. Get the globe ones for the cheap as shit now. And they're really high definition. They move and so rings. on. A you whole know, bunch of ring doorbell I mean, cameras and just put them everywhere at the Capitol. Right. Could, could you imagine? Put them all over the place. And that way you don't have this. But I understand his point, And he's right. And what I don't understand is if that footage is out there now for fucker Carlson and Fox. My belief is that it should be made available to everyone. That's I mean, plain and simple. They should not have sole access to it. Fox News is not state-run government. This isn't you know, North Korea. This isn't and, Russia. And yet it this is. isn't You're right though, Michael. And yet it, it is, is state-run TV. It is just like RTV. It's just like being in Moscow and having government-run Russian television propaganda. That's exactly what Fox News has, been, has become. 
It so, there used to be so a divide then, between news and opinion, right? right. And there is right. no divide anymore over there. So it is state-run, government-run TV. Okay, so one of the things that came out is we saw through text messages and communications over at Fox News that Tucker, Hannity, Ingraham, they all knew that, you know, Trump had lost the election. It was all part of a big lie. And yet they continued to promote the big lie and the lies about the insurrection as well. And now they are the ones that are in possession of these 41,000 hours. My question to you is, are there no laws that protect the public from these absolute fabrications that are being spouted on the news? And what happens if hypothetically they do fuck around with the tape and they end up now trying to create a new narrative using spliced and fabricated footage from these 41,000 hours? Well, you cannot present. You can present manipulated video if it's in the context of presenting a news story. Let me be very clear. So say I'm doing a story on how they took video surveillance from a prison and they ended up splicing it and manipulating it to be able to put it out to fit a narrative. And I'm doing a news story on it. And I said, look how outrageous this is. You know, these prison officials manipulated the video and they released it. That's like one thing, right? But they can't use it to be able to fit what they want it to be. They cannot openly, publicly put out something that's false. It creates a liability for them. What I'd like to see is this, Michael. I would like to see, God forbid, because there have been several people that have reached out to me that are viewers of my show to ask, can they do like a class action to sue Fox News for lies that are being propagated all the time? You and I both know for a lawsuit, you have to have standing. And in order to have standing, you have to be harmed in some way, right? And it's the injury that you have to sustain by having watched this false information, et cetera. My fear is, they're going to release, Tucker, for example, is going to release this video and it's going to be suggestively edited to make it seem like the deep state Democrats, Antifa, whatever, were responsible. And then somebody's going to get hurt, right? God forbid that happens. That person who gets hurt or even worse, if something worse happens to that person, that person's next of kin or their family, they need to seek accountability from Tucker Carlson, Fox News, but there needs to be criminal accountability for it. It's such a fine line between like saying, I'm going to, you know, we, and we've talked about this in terms of Trump on January 6th, you know, he told people to go and march on the Capitol. But ultimately what we're seeing in this trial of the Proud Boys for seditious conspiracy, oftentimes people are saying Donald Trump may not have any exposure for what happened that day because people are independent people that decide what to do on their own. Quote, unquote, nobody forced them to march on the Capitol that day. Nobody forced them to break into the United States Capitol. But in this instance, if you actively contribute by putting out into the public something that you know is knowingly false, when you take information, video, and you splice it in a way that you know it's false and you put it out there and somebody gets hurt, then there should be civil liability and you should have criminal liability for it too. You and you being a news person like Tucker Carlson that puts it out there. 
How can you not be responsible for literally lighting the match that lights everything on fire that results in violence? How can you not be responsible for that? And that is the ultimate question we have for the Donald Trump responsibility for January 6th. And that's also because Fox is sitting with $5 billion in their cash reserves. They can hire plenty of, you know, competent law firms in order to bury virtually anybody. But since we're on Fox News, you know, my question to you is if the Fox News audience won't ever see or hear that Fox News personalities have lied to them, even though it's document it's documented it's their own emails text messages communications that these personalities have lied to them how can how can these personalities then ever be held accountable so for example like in one case hannity had to make an apology i forget what the issue was tucker had to apologize at one point for claiming that he was wrong a dead guy did not vote in Georgia. You remember that one? Yeah. That was a real hell of an apology. But is there any way to get through to their audience? Or are they just so happy with the Kool-Aid that they're being fed? I don't understand it. And I'm hoping maybe you do. I'm not a licensed psychologist, so I'm practicing medicine without a license right now when I say this. I think People, and this is just human nature, Michael, people are so desperate to belong. There's this sense of being a part of a community that I think is just a part of anybody's human nature because most people don't want to be by themselves. Most people don't want to be lone wolves. We've got this pack mentality. And I think when you find a space or you find a place that allows you to believe in something that makes you feel like you're belonging to something, I think that brings you such comfort that you're going to be poisoned by the idea that people are out to get you, right? And that's exactly what has happened. You will not have seen, and we talked about this last week when all this news came out with Dominion, Fox should have settled this case by now with this type of evidence before the depositions were taken, before the discovery was done. All of that should have been settled so that this wouldn't have to come out. But the reason why is Fox would have to do exactly what you're saying. They'd have to tell their viewers that they openly duped their viewers, that they knew the whole time that what they were peddling to their viewers was a lie. And they don't want to have to do that. They'd rather have a jury find them liable. And then they point to the jury and say, that was a jury of witch hunters. That's a jury of Democrats. That's a jury of people, of bi-coastal elites that are going to find us liable, but we didn't do anything wrong no matter what the jury says. That's what they're going to do. You have to hope, though, that a $1.6 billion plus dollar judgment in favor of Dominion cuts so deeply into Fox that they change the way that they do business. But until then, and only then, it's just this level of Kool-Aid drinking, and it's a cult. I mean, we say it jokingly, Michael, but it's a cult. You buy into this because it makes you feel like you belong to a group of people that are fighting against fill-in-the-blank, Right. And that's why this Marjorie Taylor people, Green thing, this red right. state, blue state bullshit, it's, it's very real. She's literally calling for secession of states. She wants red states to live separate from blue states. <laughs> yeah, she and Don Jr. Could you imagine two geniuses that should never procreate, the two of them? What a moron that fucking kid would come out as. Could you imagine? A yelling, screaming fucking lunatic. Anyway, going back to Dominion for a second. Sure. How likely do you think that Dominion will even win this defamation lawsuit? They you know, there's obviously, win. you know, 
No way. I, I think so. Then, of course, you know that it'll go on appeal, and then you know it's going to be again years. And I agree with you. I think Fox should have settled this out of court. But I disagree on one thing. I think financially, it benefits Fox News not to settle out of court. I really do because they retain their viewership. That was one of the things that we've learned that they were concerned about when you saw those Laura Ingraham, Hannity, and Fucker Carlson text messages and communications. Right? They were concerned about the stock price and. When we start allowing stock prices to determine whether or not we tell the truth, whether or not, you know, that the news that's going to be given to us is objectively false, but we're going to keep promoting the exact opposite for the benefit of our stock price. Yes, I agree with you. There should be not only civil consequences. I believe finally somebody should be held criminally liable and you have to go right to the top. You got to go right to the top. Thereby, the next time around, whoever might be the CEO of a news organization or the guy making the decisions, they may think twice. I think Congress needs to shut them down. I think the government needs to say this is a gold star example of what not to do. You know how when we have police departments and they have a pattern in practice, Michael, a violation of civil rights. And the DOJ gets involved and there's consent orders and they have to be monitored over time to make sure that they're minding their P's and Q's, that they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. At a minimum, a company like Fox, in light of all of the evidence that's come out that is uncontroverted, that they knowingly put out false information for consumption by its viewers and by other people into the public, at a minimum, they should be on probation, right? It's like if you're not going or... Don't say that you're a news organization. Say you're OAN yeah. Max. Say you're, you know, whatever, right? Say you're, you can't say that you're a news corp. You can't say that you're giving news because it's not news. It's your opinion. Well, didn't it's your Sean propaganda. Hannity, sure, but didn't Sean Hannity turn around and said, you know, you can't hold me to that standard. I'm not a journalist. I'm just a talk show host. Right. Because so when it which you, one are you? Yeah. Which one are you? Right. Are you news or are you opinion? But more accurately, though, don't you think that there needs to be some type of monitoring of it? And listen, I'm all for the First Amendment. You and I are big fans of the First Amendment. It really is a yeah. necessary component of our democracy. But the First Amendment has to have limitations. And that and a limitation can be baked in by making sure that this company doesn't allow to make money and to basically traffic in lies to profit because that's what they're doing. They're trapped. It's like so peddling that, drugs. Right. If I know you're an right. abuser and I start peddling drugs to you and I'm selling you drugs and you OD or you, you know, you're addicted. I should be punished for that because I'm a drug peddler. Right. They're peddling lies. They're trafficking in lies because they want to make a profit off of them. Right, but you don't have to be a drug abuser in order to violate the law. You peddle drugs, you're still a drug dealer, whether you're yeah. peddling it to someone who's a first-timer or not. Which brings me really to my question then. Then how does the public protect itself from propaganda and lies in the media? You know, we don't have that ability to do anything other than shut off our television sets. And then... You have to figure out, well, where am I going to get my news from? The funny is that when I speak to these Gen Zers, they turn around and they tell me that they get the bulk of their news 
from TikTok. And that's a company that's allegedly owned by the Chinese. And, so yet, and yet there's maybe a lot they, of information on TikTok, right? Good and bad, by the way. There's no shortage of MAGA yep. on TikTok. Let's be very clear. That's for sure. Right? I've yep. definitely seen my So how do you protect that. yourself? Well, how do you protect what yourself? you said is the first thing. Number one, you don't watch Fox News. But your audience on Mea Culpa is not a political beatdown. They're not Fox News viewers. Or maybe they are. Listen, no. you and I both know some people love to um, uh, hate watch. Hate watch, hate listen. But yeah. you don't, you just, you just turn it off. That's really the power of the Nielsen rating. That's the power of a rating. You just don't turn it on. You don't watch it. But I think we are, we're so insular these days. We're so divisive. We're so polarized. I'm not watching Fox news. Are you? No. Right. You're not. Just like no, a lot that's of people really are not true. I actually, it. well, I, I do watch Fox. I'll flip through Fox just to see the counterpoint that they're trying to make. And sometimes I am beyond blown away if i watch msnbc if i watch cnn if i watch abc nbc and then i watch fox news i'm not even sure i'm in the same universe i've never seen anything like it there it is so polar opposite yeah to the programming that's going on elsewhere that I'm always shocked to see, and I scratch my head, and then I wonder, you know, how is this possible? How is it that one organization can turn around and say that Donald Trump is 70% favorable based upon their reporting, has 70% favorability, and then you go to the opposite station, and they turn around and they say he's at 28%. Of the Republican Party. That's not 70% of the country. And the expression on the Hannity's, the Ingraham's, the, you know, the Tucker Carlson's, they look right into the camera with, you know, with such earnestness, secure and earnestness, right? That they're sitting there and they're like, Donald Trump's favorability amongst Americans is at 70% or close to it. And then they look you right in the eyes and they're saying, now, most people won't report this, and they don't report it because they don't want you to think it's true. Well, fucker, because it's not true. It's a lie, and it's a lie to promote somebody. You know, I want to stay on ratings for... All right, so I want to stay on this concept of ratings for a second because weak ratings make good journalists do really bad things. Oh. And I'm talking now from personal experience. I decided that when I was doing my second book, Revenge, that there was going to be a chapter. I didn't do it. I'm going to save that for maybe a third book down the road. But it was the, the lies that were told about me. And literally, within an hour, I was able to jot down just shy of 50 lies that were told, going back all the way to the bullshit steel dossier. Now, we know that Good journalists do bad things or good people say improper things, like Fox News, as an example. But is the mainstream media guilty of the same thing? I know for a fact that they were with me. They continue to promote this misinformation, disinformation as if it was factual, right? Um, What happens inside the system as you're preparing, for example, for your show, 
And in your heart, you believe that what they're writing for you to pass on to your viewership is not accurate. What do you do? Yeah, so the quote luxury I have is I am a perspective show on MSNBC. So it's the Katie Fang show. It's my perspective. That being said, I'm also a former trial lawyer, right? So I like to, my currency is evidence and facts. But we, as in the network, um, very smartly have a standards and legal, you know, kind of component to what we do. Um, our, our, we have, we cannot put forth for public consumption at the network information that has not been duly fact checked. If we do an attribution, Michael, that ends up being incorrect, then we will correct mm-hmm. it. But what we do is we say, according to CNN, right, or according to a government official, blah, blah, blah. Do we always get it right? No. When we get it wrong, do we apologize and make a correction? Yes. But do we continue? And I, and, and, I, and, and I have to use the Dominion Fox as an example. Dominion notified Fox um, that they were lies, kind of like what you just said, right? Like you were able to keep track of the lies. Dominion notified Fox, but then Fox went on 19 separate times after Dominion notified Fox that they were wrong to continue to lie and to put fraudulent and false claims out into the public. Nobody's perfect. I agree. There is a reward sometimes for being more provocative when you're on news, right? A little bit more provocative maybe drives ratings and drives eyeballs. But if you lose your credibility, just like in life, that's all you have. Your reputation is all you have. And so if you lose your credibility, it doesn't make a difference if you end up leaving the news and you end up going over and being the dog walker, right? If somebody doesn't think that you're credible, they're not going to believe you. And so it's irrelevant what your job ends up being or who you are in terms of your role, because everybody's going to look at you and think you don't own up to when you make a mistake or you're putting lies out there. Ergo, the reason why, let's just say somebody at Fox, maybe Fox folds, maybe it doesn't. I sadly and tragically think if something happens to Fox News, another Fox light or mini Fox is going to pop up because there's an audience for it, as proven by the millions of people and the billions of dollars that Fox News makes. But I do think, though, if people like Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity leave their perches and their towers at Fox News, they're going to go somewhere else and everybody's going to know that when they look you in the face, they're actually texting something totally different. And I think that that follows you. And I may be naive, and I don't mind being naive when it comes to decency, when it comes to humanity. I don't think we should ever be naive about that. I think we should just be honest that we have to hope for the best and that people are always going to do the right thing. I can sit and start to go through the 50 different inaccurate statements that were constantly promoted about me on all the stations. Oh, yeah. MSNBC. I, I know. You know, across know. the board. Trust me, I know. It's I funny know. because it's funny because I haven't seen one apology, not for the inaccurate statements about, for example, um, the Steele dossier. I don't own a home in Sochi, next door to Putin. How about the pa- how about um, the passport? What was that trip? My 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 pa- yeah, my passport, my cell phone being in my- that was a McClatchy story. Talk about fucked up group of people, you know. And then they tried to keep promoting it again and again and again. My cell phone pinged off of a cell tower in 
uh, outside Holy? of Prague in the yeah. Czech Republic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, my cell phone. Yeah, and um, you know, of course, I think it was like Peter Stone was the uh, was the journal. I shouldn't even call him a journalist. The jokester, you know, made a claim that he had the documents, but he didn't because. Interestingly enough, they don't even have the capability, according to Norm Eisen, who was the former ambassador to the Czech Republic, that they don't even have that capability. So the whole thing was a lie. I never got an apology from him. Actually, I've never received an apology from anyone on any of the misinformation and any of the stories. I never even got an apology from Jonathan Fry, that IRS agent who got duped by that fucking jerk off Avenatti. That everybody had on television from, you know, morning to night. The guy, I mean, the guy was contemplating running for the presidency. That's how crazy that this system has gotten. And, you know, it would be nice if finally they would turn around and they would acknowledge the mistakes that they made. I really hoped that the book Revenge would have drawn that out of some, you know, some people. Because what it does is it really shows how corrupt the Department of Justice is and how corrupt so many people were and how the news just kept... Because I have a whole chapter in that book just about the media and the promotion of this misinformation. I will say this, Michael, and it's in large part a credit to you, your willingness to actually literally do the time for... for and, and you and I have spoken at length about the motivations as to why you pleaded guilty, right? For putting that aside, you did do time in federal prison. You're the only one who's done time. I don't count mm-hmm. five months in Riker for Alan Weisselberg as shit. So you're the one who's actually done the time for, for this stuff. I will say, it's an interesting kind of paradoxical kind of thing. I get grief sometimes when I have somebody like you on my show, or I have somebody who's a never Trumper who's still a Republican or a former Republican on my show, because it's tough for people to be forgiving sometimes, and it's very easy to sit in judgment, right? And what I like mm. to say to people is this. Um, Michael, if we didn't believe what you had to say, you wouldn't be on, right? And, and right. I know that you want the complete, no pun intended, mea culpa, right? You want the complete mea culpa saying, we are so sorry, Michael, for you know reporting on slash, you know, opining on slash analyzing everything about you as the, quote, personal fixer for Donald Trump. But in some way... The apology, if I can use that word for you, is the time you are spending on these news programs and these shows um, where you are explaining to the American people the complete politicization of the DOJ, everything that Trump did, everything that Trump organization was about, everything the Trump kids are all about. In some way, you've you've gotten this credibility stamp because you're on these shows and people are having you explain these things. And I think that that's small, a small apology, but an apology. I Very think small. to you, if that, if that makes sense. Right. It'd be nicer if those that profited off of having me on for the ratings, it'd be nice if those who are profiting during uh, having had Avenatti on acknowledge and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Not our fault. All of this misinformation was coming from as high up as you can imagine. The president, attorney general, DOJ. That, and that's really the big problem. But let me jump into something else here for a second. Because sure. Mary Trump is sounding the alarm that Donald will incite violence. And I agree with Mary 100% on this. He will incite violence if he's indicted in Georgia or in Manhattan uh, or anywhere else. 
Do you think that's why perhaps Merrick Garland has been so careful and really slower than fucking molasses through a strainer to prosecute Trump or anyone on his team? Uh, no, I, I don't think the fear of violence is working into the calculus of Merrick Garland. I think that that is the uh, the wheels of justice grind slowly mentality, especially in federal court. Mary was on my show this weekend and I yes. asked her about exactly that and the fear that because you see election deniers like Christina Caramo in Michigan winning state party chair and the fact that you still have people like MTG and Lauren Boebert et al. Jim Jordan saying, you know, that this is still a stolen election um, and we don't see accountability or consequences for one six except for the low level boots on the ground soldiers so far. I do share the concern, but I don't think that that's what's keeping Merrick Garland from bringing indictments. I do expect an indictment from Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, this year. And when I mean this year, before the summer, I expect that to happen. I know she's used the adverb imminently. Everybody's tried to hyperanalyze that adverb, but imminent is as imminent does. And I do believe that that's going to happen. And I do believe you're going to see a Mar-a-Lago documents indictment from Jack Smith in 2023. If we didn't do stuff, if we didn't go over the, go after the John Gotti's of the world, if we didn't go after the, um, you know, Al Capone's of the world for fear of violence, for fear of retaliation, not from the public at large, but just the general concept of continuing violence, um, you wouldn't have a democracy. And if there's one thing I think about Merrick Garland, I think he's a true believer. I do think he's a true believer. Yeah. I just wish he would shake his ass and start moving. Now, one of the things is that we right? We hear that Biden's strategy for 2024 is that competence beats crazy. Now, that works, for example, if the nominee is Donald or Ron DeSantis. What do you think Biden should run on outside of this competence beats crazy? Because I'm not so sure that that's a winning message. I don't know if it's competence beats crazy because DeSantis isn't as crazy as Donald. DeSantis doesn't have the baggage as Donald and DeSantis actually has competently done a lot of a big GOP agenda down here in Florida. I think Biden has to um, run on a campaign of, of kind of proven success. I mean, he's done stuff in his administration mm -hmm. that other presidents have failed to do in one term. And I think that's what he has to continue to do. I think it's unfortunate that you have a criticism about him because of his age. I think there's an unfortunate re I mean, who the hell else would ride a train for 10 hours and go into a war zone? That's President Biden, right? And yet he's criticized for his age when he rides a train for 10 hours. I mean, it's just crazy. That but I do think, though, um, competence over crazy. I want security, Michael. I don't want yeah. violence. I want security. I want to know my kid is safe. I want to know that I'm safe. I want to know that our country is safe. And I think that's what he needs to run on. It's this idea of security versus competency. I mean, competency can mean a lot of shit, you know. But another big problem that I hear a lot from people is, look, um, Kamala Harris, if she becomes his vice president or remains his vice president in 2024, I don't want Kamala Harris. I mean, that's what I hear from so many people. And the problem is that we don't really hear much about anything that Kamala Harris is actually doing. Now, Charles Blow, 
made a statement a few days ago claiming that that issue that the media has with her, because media is brutal to her, is all sexist. It's all about sexism. From your perspective, why do we hear so little about the vice president? Why not? If you're 80 years old and there's only so much, there's really only so much that any one person can do. I don't care if you're 50 years old. There's only so much that one person can do. Why not dish out to her something of real serious national importance and let her show how competent that she truly is? A few things. One, I think she's doing a great job. Two, I think that there is a dynamic that is not spoken of that exists between the president and the vice president in terms of their respective roles. Three, what the hell did Mike Pence do? What the hell did Mike Pence do? Right? I mean, why? I I think there is a sexism component to it. I do think it's a gender related criticism, but, and I also think, by the way, it's race, it's racially, racially, you know, motivated as well. Look, Biden may be of older age, but he ain't dead, right? And he's not like he's in a home and he's doing a great job as evidenced by his record. I don't have a fear about him dying and having Kamala take over. God forbid it happens, Kamala will do a great job. I just think that, yes, you should look at platforms as a whole or slates as a whole with a president and a vice president candidate, but they did it. They did it once and they'll do it again. And I'm confident, I'm completely confident that because, especially because they're incumbents, that makes it an easier win for both of them. But in fairness, like I said, what the hell did Mike Pence do? Other than listen to Mike his Pence wife. did absolutely nothing. To his he did wife. absolutely That's all he nothing. Ever did. So he didn't do anything. And so in fairness to Kamala, I think people need to be reflective and say, even a Republican president had a vice president. And here's the other reality. Donald Mike, President Biden is not Donald Trump. President Biden is not, you know, hoovering cheeseburgers with his Dorito Cheeto fingers, you know, and stealing classified documents. Right. That's not happening. Right. And so you have a different scenario with a Kamala Harris as VP than you did even with Mike Pence. Yeah, look, I'm no fan of Mike Pence. Uh, I just would I know Kamala Harris well enough to know her competency level. And I would love to see her handle like handle infrastructure, right? Let her handle something as important and significant as the infrastructure bill. She was just at the Munich Security Conference. She was representing the United States at a critical meeting, right? Where we had China present, where we also had other major world powers. She did a great job and she delivered a very strong message to Russia, which is still one of our biggest, biggest concerns, security concerns domestic and internationally, she told Russia, you know, step off, you know? And so I do think that, again, she's not getting as much credit as credit is due, but let's give her a second term as well under Biden and let's see what she can do on a term two. So look, the hour goes by quickly. I know. You know, here me a couple. So I have one last question for you. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, George Santos, all of these all of these folks, they're really good for a story. And every day, we discuss something that they have said or done. Now, it's all fun and games in a way. It's funny as shit to just watch this implosion of stupidity by our, could you imagine, by our elected leaders. But are we doing a public a disservice by reporting on these idiots? And further, do these people 
do and say these sorts of things just to stay relevant and in the news? Give me, I'm just going to let you guys know that my, my earbuds just like totally lost juice. So That's okay. You sound even better. I'm glad that you asked that question, Michael, about giving any type of real estate in the media to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and Jim Jordan, even Kevin McCarthy, right? Even though he's a Speaker of the House. It's a really big challenge for me to find that balance, even with Donald Trump. Sometimes I get criticism from viewers because I do will play some portion of a Trump rally, et cetera. I think in fairness, Viewers need to see it for themselves. I can paraphrase. I can quote. I can even try to do the mannerisms of Donald Trump or, or, or some of these other crazy sycophants. But it's just not the same thing until you actually hear them say it. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, when you have her telling somebody like Sean Spicer or somebody else, the or Charlie Kirk, right, what she did yesterday, when you hear her talk about having Democrats or flee blue states and move to red states and then they can't vote for five years. Or it's almost like she talks about segregating Democrats and, and putting them in almost like internment camps if they were moving to a red state. You have to hear it from the horse's mouth. And that's pretty apropos description of them. You have to hear it from the horse's mouth because I just don't think it does it justice if you don't do so. But I also think you have to give equal, if not more airtime, right, to the reality, the truth, the facts. And that's what we do. We may play a clip. We may even interview one of those people. But that's also a dangerous situation when you interview one of those people, if you're in the media, because you don't want it to be a runaway train of stupidity and lies. So you have to be prepared to refute them. But they're just looking for an opportunity to point to poison and to taint another audience. That's all they're looking to do. And they're doing it. That in, that in fundraise. Exactly. Yeah, that in fundraise. They want to be able to take a clip of they went to CNN or MSNBC and they said or did something and they want to do a fundraise off that and say, hey, look, we were able to school a Democrats or school the blue or school, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And that's why they're trying to do it. But it doesn't mean that we don't have an obligation if we're in journalism to give the real estate for that to happen, meaning to give them the chance to be able to explain something. I've had people that have either offered or wanted to come on my show. And the caveat is you have to bring receipts, literally, right? Bring the receipts, yep. show the evidence, show the reality. If you can't, you can't come on my show. Why would I have you on? That's no. what I did. Why? That's what I did. Yeah. I came with the receipts. I came with the documents. Katie, you are the best. I thank you as always. Can't wait to come back onto the Katie Fang show. Everybody should check it out. Um, again, thanks for the insight. Thanks for everything that you do. And you know I'll be staying in touch and we'll be seeing each other soon. Thanks, Michael. Thanks to you guys always. Thanks. And now for today's mea culpa. Alex Murdoch, the folksy Southern lawyer on trial for murdering his wife and 22-year-old son, unexpectedly got on the stand this week and really made a mess of things. There was an alibi that included removing a chicken from the jaws of one of his dogs. I mean, not sure if it was Bubba or Garth, but one of the dogs killed a chicken and the story just got fucking weird from there. There's likely not anyone in America who hasn't heard or seen something about this case. I mean, those watching the coverage on television, which was wall-to-wall -wall towards the end of last week. Anyway, I mean, I bet you know more about Alex Murdoch than you probably know about your next-door neighbor. 
He was a vaguely successful lawyer, the sign of a really successful legal family. I mean, basically, Murdoch was the king of his redneck South Carolina town. He's been a drug addict for 20 years and has done countless stupid and horrible things, including an attempt to stage his own murder, which he lived through, begging the question, did he ever mean to die or is it just more bullshit? Maybe this trial has made him want to die. I mean, I hear that he has shed quite a few tears. And as the prosecution bullies him mercilessly, I fear the jury is actually starting to feel sorry for him. Then there is his one remaining son, Buster. I mean, poor kid. It's one thing you lose your mother and your brother to murder, but when it's your own dad's probably the killer, I mean, it's all bad shit. But honestly, with everything going on in the world, why the fuck do we care? I don't give a shit. I mean, it's been on my television second after second. And we're watching this shit the same way we watched Donald Trump's inauguration, the same way we watched his various debates, and the same way that we watched his rallies. I don't give a shit. Why is this proven fucking liar who looks and acts like the human embodiment of Foghorn Leghorn being covered like he was someone famous? So I have a few theories on that. And one is that this ugly Alex Murdoch has more than one thing in common with Trump. They're both guys who kept bad company and squandered their rich, privileged lives in pursuit of stupid shit. Now granted, Trump became president and Murdoch became a murderer, but Trump could just have easily been a murderer and vice versa. In fact, Murdoch is actually more personable than Trump. But our fascination is all wrapped up in the myth of the good American family gone wrong. The great dynasty that gets more interesting as it falls apart. It's the fucking train crash. It's the fucking car accident that you just can't go by without staring at. This story is mimicked on half of everything successful today on TV. I mean, think of succession. Billions, White Lotus, what is it all about fucked up rich people breaking the law and crossing the line? And you gotta ask the question to that, why? And the answer, because they can. Remember Dallas, J.R. Ewing was the worst kind of asshole. But when he was shot, you think it was the crime of the century. I mean, we love to hate J.R. in the same way I think people love to hate Trump. We know the evil bastard has it coming, but until then, what a ride. Murdoch, like Trump, will say and do anything to save himself. But at least in Murdoch's case, his desperation is endearing. And now, it appears that his reign of terror has finally come to a televised end. In a courtroom, being judged by a jury of his peers, or worse, real people, who will put him away, and all in the name of justice. My hope is that this is just the warm-up act and that the real crime of the century will end up with Donald Trump behind bars. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. 
Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my name.